Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure and honor to welcome my guest, Coach Mark Grubel. Hey Mark, how are you? What's up guys, how are y'all? I'm pretty good. Um, thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, y'all, It's it was kind of like um, tough for me to get him on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> completely my fault too. no no not way. at all but like um i was anticipating this conversation for a couple of weeks just because um of the nature of your job i feel like it's really unique and mm-hmm. um, i'm excited to pe- for people to uh, hear about what you do and yeah for for me to learn about your journey too because i feel like it's something that i don't hear often um mm-hmm. so without uh further ado coach what is it that you do well, um, I am at, at the heart and soul of what I do as a martial arts instructor, but my forte is kickboxing. And I actually am the head coach for the United States kickboxing team. So um, we just got recognized by the IOC as an official sport, and they're taking boxing out of the Olympics. So it looks like they're going to be putting kickboxing into the Olympics. And if um, everything goes as planned, I'll be the head coach for 2028. This is great amazing news congratulations coach i know this has probably been um quite a journey for you guys um and i i say this because so for my uh, regular listeners if you remember uh, jamie Choi's interview jamie is mark's cousin younger cousin um and she was so kind enough to introduce us so that i could hear his story today but she told me that this has been like something you've been trying to get kickboxing an official olympic sport for quite some time now yeah it's been since 2016 really yeah so for quite a long time yeah and i've i've spent probably about enough money traveling around the world supporting our team out of my pocket and i could have probably bought another house with the amount of money i spent literally another house but um you know this is something that's very passionate um, within inside of me, you know, it's part Mm -hmm. of who I am. It's part of my identity now at this point, it's Mm -hmm. part of my soul. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I grew up in, um, in, uh, South Augusta here. And I, you know, half the times I won my fights and half the times I did not. Mm -hmm. And the times I did not are the times I learned a lot. And uh, there was one street fight in particular that I got into where, uh, my left elbow was mangled very badly. And, um, like I, I'd blown like all the tendons out on the left side of my elbow and the guy just kept pounding me and kept pounding me and kept pounding me. And, um, that was like a turning point in my life. But you know, what's really weird is like, I actually want to thank that guy. If I ever run into him, (laughs) don't think that I want, I don't want to slap the crap out of him. I do, but I will probably thank him first (laughs) for allowing me to experience that so I could become who I am today. Because if it wasn't for that traumatic experience, I would never be where I am today. Because, you know, being a a scared teenager Mm -hmm. who knows nothing else but to bark, that was kind of my defense a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just act like I can handle this. Mm-hmm. And not really knowing what to do. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. acting like you can swim and then somebody pushing you in the deep end of the pool. Mm-hmm. You better know, you better learn how to swim really quickly, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyways, um, so that, that experience made me a changed person and made me want to not let anyone ever have to experience that, that I loved or, or cared for. You know what I mean? 
So I started taking my martial arts experience uh, experiences to the next level. I try to really dive deep into the the edu education and the uh, uh, practicing of martial arts. And um, I wanted to become like, well, as a 15 year old, I wanted to become the most badass 15 year old I could possibly right. be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as I, I grew older, you know, I really wanted to master these arts, you know, mm. and I every everywhere I bounced wrestling, jujitsu, you know, karate, taekwondo, I, it always moved me back to boxing and kickboxing. Those seemed to be the ones that I were the best at. And, um, you know, I've done some pretty cool things in my life. So I'm happy for where I'm at. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so, so I have a lot of questions. Um, like, sure. uh, so that when you brought up the street fight, so that was just like a regular fight on the street. You're saying like, that was really it was a really stupid fight actually. Uh huh. This guy wanted to fight me because I was Chinese, oh, and I said, "Bro," my. I said, "I'm not freaking Chinese." Yeah. Like I'm like this, I, and I cussed the guy out uh -huh. on his bus because I was riding his bus home to go study with one of my friends That's that crazy. lived in his neighborhood. And he just started calling me chink and, you know, Jap and whatever Chinese or whatever, and kind of doing this stuff to me. Uh -huh. And, um, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to take that. And yeah. so I cussed him out in front of all of his friends and called him out. And he whipped my ass. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. <laughs> okay. So, and so yeah. at this point in your life though, like, have you ever fought anyone before? Yeah, I mean, growing up as a kid, like I mean, we would get into we would just get beat up just because people wanted to beat us up. That's you know? insane. Yeah, I remember one time I got into a fight. Um, I was I was probably eleven. I mean, I was young. Yeah, I was eleven years old. I was riding my skateboard and these 14 year olds, I saw them like running on the street parallel to us and they started hopping the fences, like getting closer and closer to us. And me and my friends were kind of freaking out a little bit. Yeah. So I had a couple of my friends with me and my little brother. We were little, like we were all 11 years old. I think my brother was, gosh, he was seven years old. Mm. Yeah. And these, this one guy wanted to ride my skateboard and I could tell this guy was not a skateboarder and he did not want to ride my skateboard and he just jacked me in my jaw as hard as he could and slung me on the ground and pounded me in the face and um the only one to help me was my seven-year-old brother oh who goodness. by the way is now a six-time world kickboxing champion that's crazy <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. yeah so um that 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 beating wasn't the one that changed me though that one that one kind of made me very fearful you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah. like because i was like man my friends didn't even jump in these were guys yeah. that i grew up with that lived on the same street as me and I couldn't eat, I could like he, the guy hit me in my temple so many times I couldn't eat. And my mom made pork chops that night. And I was like, Oh my God, I couldn't even eat my freaking dinner that night. My, my, cause every time I clenched my jaw, right. I could feel it in my temple. It hurt so bad. And yeah, that was a really traumatic experience. And the guy wanted to fight me cause I was Chinese. You know what I mean? I was like, bro, if you're going to be racist, at least be correct about it. So you don't That's look so right. ignorant. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, and then so so these experiences led to you wanting to get into martial arts, or you had already been in martial arts at this point. I I was in martial arts, but uh -huh. it was like 
karate and taekwondo okay it's very a watered down version of stuff that really doesn't work too well in the street okay so I like, agreed agreed yes <laughs> so that guy who hit me in my temples uh-huh. i kicked him one good time but that's what you do in point fighting you kick and you're like bang that's it that's the uh-huh, end of the uh-huh. you know now you got to start back over right it's not right. like that in a street fight right same thing with the other guy that i got into a fight with who came over to my friend's house where i wanted to study like he literally knocked on the door with five or six of his buddies and called me out into the street and I kicked him really good one time. Right. And he's like, Oh, and like tackled me. And I didn't know how to fight in the ground. So when he tackled me, I put my arm out behind me like this and it just blew my elbow in half. <gasps> so it was, my arm was like a T. Oh my it gosh, like Mark. Oh my- <laughs> it was terrible. So like I, I couldn't do anything with that left hand, but luckily I was, in it enough to note, I just pulled a shirt over his face and kind of pulled him in as tight as I possibly could. Uh-huh. So he couldn't really get hard punches off on me. But man, I look back at that. I was 14 at that time. Uh-huh. I don't know what I would do if I saw somebody doing that to my 15 year old daughter. So like, that's you know my I next mean? question is like, okay, so because even before I interviewed you, I started thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about. And you know, right. as a mom myself, I told you I have a six year old boy and a four year old daughter. Um, you know, uh, and I also mentioned before the interview that I was in athletics and I was a coach as a figure skating coach. Um, I think about Eli, my son and the things that I put him in proactively, right? Like sports and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I'm like, man, how does one become a professional like boxer or kick, like, or kickboxer? Mm -hmm. And like, I wonder, like, is your, your, is your mom's side Korean or your dad? My mom. Okay. So like even that came to mind right i'm like i wonder like his mom was like yeah do this or like you know i'm telling you i tell everyone my mom gave me my right hand (laughs) (laughs) i believe you i believe you for sure for sure (laughs) so she was like was she the one that was like all right enough is enough because like i mean to see you in such a crippled and you know, a state where you were help as a mom, you're helpless too. I'm like, what would I do if I saw my yeah. son, you know, in that situation? And we live in such a politically correct environment. Do you jump in? Do right. You, you know what I mean? If you were actually witnessing it going on, what do you do? This, And then you have all these legalities involved. It's very, very touchy subject. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, obviously, if you could jump in before anything too crazy happens, but if if I, I don't know what I would do if I saw three or four kids stomping my, my daughter out. You know what right. I mean? I Kill really them. don't know how no, I'm I would kidding. react. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know? But I'm pretty sure I know how I would react. I don't know if it'd be the right thing to do, but right, you right. know, I, I would, I would try to teach to, you know, or not try to, uh, in this, in this particular instance, I would try to deescalate while out having to go into a fight. You know, that's, that's the cool thing about what learning how to fight mm. is that, when a situation does arise and you know that the guy really doesn't want to fight, mm-hmm. he's just posturing, it's very mm-hmm. easy to like brush it off. Sure, you, sure. You know, yeah. it's like if a five-year-old girl came up to me and said, you don't know how to ride a bike, Mr. Grubel. I would go, okay. And I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. You know what right, I mean? Right, Because it's not going to bother me. I already know I can ride a bike. <laughs> you know what Interesting. I mean? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes so, sense. So um, it, I, I think, I think all little boys, and little girls should learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. I think they should all learn how to fight. Martial arts doesn't promote violence. Mm-hmm. It actually um, keeps violence in check. If you are a dangerous man, 
but are able to control it, that's a good man. Yeah. Okay. If you're just docile and living in fear all the time and you're being nice to everyone because you have to, that doesn't make you a good man. That makes you a victim. Like you have to be a a good person or you're going to get run over. You're doing that in hopes that you're you're not going to get run over. Mm -hmm. But if you're a dangerous person and you can control that and you don't, and you choose to handle things without violence, Mm -hmm. that is a good person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, bullies, bullies are the opposite. Mm. Bullies are dangerous people, but they choose to use violence to get their way. They choose to intimidate to get their way. Mm. Whereas most martial artists choose not to. Most good martial artists don't have anything to prove. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think for, for confidence building too, like when I grew up as a kid, I, this is kind of my other life that I, I had when I was a kid, I played in a speed metal band. And we toured all up and down the East Coast. Yeah. Oh my gosh, um, I actually heard the heard about this, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, actually, there's a really huge band from Atlanta called Mastodon. Mastodon opened for my band before they got huge, and Mastodon's like the mega big band. That's <laughs> so awesome. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, we played with Seven Dust before. Some guys from Orange Nine Millimeter. Corn came and hang, hung out with us at our house. It was wild. What? Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. oh sorry but what, what were you going to say oh uh, i'm sorry i got sidetracked that was my other life you know um uh playing drums and stuff like that and i don't even know where i was going now after i started reminiscing about all this. <laughs> no it's okay it's okay but so how long did you do that for oh my god i started playing drums when i was 11 uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah so i i played I mean, seriously, all the way until I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, early 30s. Wow. That's yeah. a man, man. We might have to do a Mark Grubel part two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, so when did you, when did you, like, how did the training begin for you then in your life after the street fights and stuff? So I started, like. It was around the time that the Ultimate Fighting Championship just came out. Like UFC one came out, and there's this guy named Hoist Gracie who was a jujitsu specialist, and he was uh, like the smallest guy in the tournament. And I was just mesmerized by how he was like taking people out. I was like, I have to learn that because I wasn't a big guy. I graduated high school as 115 pounds. I was tiny, wow, right? And um, but I was five eleven, so oh, I was wow. a rail, right? I mean, I was right. so skinny, um. And I had like I had to learn it, right? So I, I, I went and searched through all these different schools, and I found one school that did something similar to it, and and it was archaic compared to today's jujitsu. Today's jujitsu is just off the charts technical. Like back then, it was like we learned a couple of moves and thought we were excellent grapplers. Like nah, not even close today. But um, <clears throat> but it kind of gave me a base and it's really weird because that system was like a close quarter defensive tactics type of martial arts called okay. bojuka. And, um, it was more hand to hand technique like, um, that like police would use or, um, or criminal recovery guys would use it. Was, so I kind of went backwards cause that's actually more advanced martial arts, mm. but, um, it gave me a really good base and it really taught me how to not get hit because in a street fight, you don't want to take punches on the chin. You don't mm-hmm. want to get hit. Mm-hmm. So it taught me a lot about um, those type of scenarios and things. But what it lacked was the actual like physical, like punching and full power getting punched. And I was missing that. So 
I started kickboxing and boxing. And then once I started kickboxing and boxing, I, I dove into wrestling a little bit and, and just like dabbled. Like I, I, I'm not like some type of expert grappler or anything like that. Um, but you know, I, and I, I studied jujitsu a little bit too, but I always gravitated back towards, uh, boxing and kickboxing. Those are just my favorite, mm. you know? Um, and I really took those seriously. So I t had my first full contact match when I was 19. I never lost a full contact kickboxing match. I, I didn't lose any boxing matches. So even though, um, <clears throat> even though I wasn't like the biggest, strongest guy in my weight classes mm. or whatever, I always, I always tried to use this, you know, and I always tell my students, look, if the, if you have the Hoover dam in front of you, it looks like impossible to destroy, but there's a tiny little crack in it somewhere. Wow. And if you can find that crack and you can just hammer away at it and chip mm -hmm. away at it, eventually the whole thing will go, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was very good at strategy and um, things like that. Strategy, deceptiveness, counterpunching, and that just built on my game. And I had to use things that were not going to require size and power because I wasn't a big, powerful um, fighter. So I had to maximize every ounce of body weight I had. I had to maximize my timing, my distance. And luckily I was a drummer. So I had excellent timing. Right. Like, right. It, it made me a very good counter puncher and counter kicker. So, um, I've heard <laughs> this before. My husband, he grew up as a soccer player, but my, my, uh, mother-in-law recently was telling me like, I should put my son, teach my son drum, drum lessons first, because that's what he, <laughs> she did with my husband uh -huh. and he's a drummer. But also, I guess rhythm is your, your very important. What's that? Your husband's a drummer. He start. Yeah, his first instrument is drums. But he, nice. he yeah, he leads worship at church. But his very Sweet. first instrument that he's learned, he's very strong in drums. But nice. yeah, yeah. So I guess you guys have that in common. But he's not a kickboxer <laughs> or a boxer. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I heard that before. Like rhythm is very important in Absolutely. I guess every sport you do like mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. interesting. So this is so fascinating for me because I'm like, okay, for people that don't know, and maybe it's obvious, but like, can you tell me the difference between boxing and kickboxing? <laughs> oh, that's easy. So boxing is, you know, just all, any punches that are coming, getting thrown at you. And okay. then kickboxing is going to add the kicks. Okay. Kicking to the body, kicking to the head, kicking to the legs. So the brand of kickboxing that's going into the Olympics that I coach is called K1 kickboxing. Okay. And in K1, you can kick to the legs, you can knee to the body and head, you know, grab people around the head and like knee them in the head. And um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty game sport. It's rough, you know? Yeah, it sounds but, rough. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Mark. Like, I'm the girl that like can't watch UFC. I know it's a right. it's fun for a lot of people and I try, but I'm like, I just can't do it. But um, but I get it. I get it. Um, so you said there's K1. What is there something else that's. Uh, there's, there's tons of different types of like uh, stand up striking styles. OK. Uh, Muay Thai. The Muay, and Muay Thai, you can stay in an extended clinch for a long time. And you can throw elbows and like sweep people. Mm. So it's a little bit more, um, it's a little bit more vast in the arsenal of mm -hmm. weapons you can use. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a lot of grappling involved where you're like, you know, you're, you're wrestling someone standing up and trying to throw them on the ground and stuff like that versus 
K1 kickboxing where it's more of a pure striking sport where you're not allowed to stay in the clinch longer than three seconds. So you have to clinch, get, get business done and go right back to punching and kicking. So it keeps the action a little bit faster on the striking um, portion of it. Uh And then there's other, there are, there's other rule styles of kickboxing too. So do you remember in the, I mean, you probably don't remember in the eighties, they had this thing called full contact rules, kickboxing. And the guys wore long pants and they could only kick above the waist, but it was really, it's a really pretty art because the guys usually had really good boxing and they, they're mostly karate kickers. They never kicked the legs. So, so it's like really high kicking, high kicks, spin kicks, axe kicks, you know, hook kicks, Oof. like really pretty, like Taekwondo style kicks yeah. with boxing. So that's a completely different style of kickboxing. It looks completely different. Mm. And then there's another one called uh, international rules or low kick rules where you can kick the head, body or legs, but you can't clinch your knee. So that's, that's a really fun style to watch too. I like that style too. Okay. So. Um, in these specific styles that you're talking about, when two boxers are competing, basically the rules are already like people already know this is what's appropriate for this kind of competition. Right. I mean, there's okay. certain like if let's say you're in a full contact rules fight, uh-huh. you can only kick above the waist. If you kicked your opponent in the leg, you would get you would get a point taken away. Okay, gotcha. You know, gotcha. or a warning first and then a point taken away. It's against the rules. You know. Oh man, I feel like I'm gonna maybe start watching boxing and kickboxing. <laughs> oh man, kickboxing and kickboxing, in my opinion, is so much more exciting. There's just more weapons. There's more angles. There's more yeah. range. You know. Oh man, you <clears> really <throat> love it, huh? <laughs> I love it. Like I'm telling I you, can, like, like, I can feel the passion as you're talking. I um, can talk about this all night long. I'm serious. I love <laughs> it. I love it. It's so great. Um, okay, so uh, Mark, what does a typical day for you look like then? So normally, like I'll wake up pretty early, um, uh, do a personal in the morning around six thirty or so. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll have one or two more. Then I'll uh, uh, coach some of my fighters in the morning. Um, a lot of times they'll go run or something like that, and I'll I'll go uh, to the track with them. Sometimes I'll run with them, um, not all the time. But uh, after that, I'll try to do whatever um, whatever other odd ends or chores that need to be done for the gym or marketing or answering emails or or whatever. Just whatever odd ends have to be done in the three or four hours I have before the actual classes start. Okay. Now recently I haven't been teaching at night because my elbow is been super super hurt Mm -hmm. so it's that same elbow that I got hurt when I was a kid Mm -hmm. so uh, I have arthritis bone spurs tennis elbow and golfer's elbow in that elbow and lots of inflammation so I haven't been able to hold pads lately so I've had to use these little paddles but um tomorrow I go for my MRI they're gonna see if I need surgery and they've already told me you probably need surgery because I can't straighten my arm out all the way I mean did you hear that uh, no, but I'm glad that I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it just it clicks constantly. So oh, no. yeah, it's just it's annoying. I can't I can't lock my arms out all the way on that right. side. But anyways, I can't really complain because that was like when I was 14 years old. I'm 40. I'm 45, about to be 46 this year. So that's a lot of miles on that judo yeah. elbow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh man. Okay, so you might have to have surgery on it. That's a bummer. Um, yeah. But hopefully that'll. Will the surgery um, at least allow you to do go back to like holding pads, hopefully, and stuff? Oh like yeah, that? as soon as like yeah, when they uh, 
so they what they think happened is like you know the little tendons or whatever had a uh-huh. piece of bone pull off of my my bone right mm-hmm. so now that is wedged into my joint so that's why i can't straighten my arm out all the way so they want to scope that out or whatever scoop that out and i guess tighten or fix whatever tendon damage is in there okay thank th- that was really um a good illustration thank you <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you do have like group classes, like I, yeah, as you mentioned. What does that look like? I'm just so curious. Like, you have a bunch of students that you're teaching um, moves to, or is it more like a fitness class, or what is that like? So, um, at our locations, we have two classes going on uh-huh. um, at all times. Usually in the afternoon, we always have like a cardio kickboxing class going on, but we also offer boxing kickboxing, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, cardio kickboxing, circuit training classes. We offer a lot. So Mm -hmm. um, in fact, when I first opened my gym in 2005, there weren't any gyms that said mixed martial arts. Like I opened Grubel's Mixed Martial Arts Mm -hmm. and it was like half of my calls were, what is mixed martial arts? Mm -hmm. And I had to explain to people what it was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know this, but Forrest Griffin, do you know who Forrest Griffin is? No. He's the guy who won the ultimate fighter season one. So he was a, he was a friend of mine and we used to always train together. He, we trained down in my band room. Like uh-huh. he'd come to where my band room was and we'd hit mitts and like, you know, get a good workout or go running together and stuff like that. And, um, he told us, Hey Mark, I'm going to be gone for a few weeks, man. I'm doing this reality show. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Whatever, man. Let me know how it goes. Right. Had, had no idea what he was doing. And then he calls me towards the end of the season. He's like, Mark, I'm doing really good, man. This is going really good. I, you know, I can't tell you what's going on, but it's going to be good. So he ends up making it to the finals of the Ultimate Fighter reality show. Oh my well, gosh. that show, that fight that he had against this guy named Stefan Bonner was the fight that took mixed martial arts and propelled it into the mainstream. Amazing. So, that, I mean, if you ever get a chance to watch Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Bonner one, unbelievable fight. I mean, just it'll keep you on the edge of your sheet, like biting your nails the whole time. (laughs) It's such an amazing fight. There's 25 minutes of these guys pounding the crap out of each other. And I just, I don't even know how they did it. Like Forrest is an amazing athlete. He's a heavyweight and used to run circles around me and my brother. It was like, it was really impressive. Like how, how much endurance and stamina this guy had. Yeah. It was scary. So, like, when you watch these fights, Mark, are mm-hmm. you, you you know, you describe it as, like, they're pounding each other. But for you as a coach, like, do you genuinely see the art and the technique behind it? Yeah, again, like, striking is my forte. So yes. I'm more in tune to the striking portion of all those fights. Mm. But I can definitely appreciate, like, the grappling, knowing, you know, the, the base of the grappling that I do know. It's very impressive to watch those guys mm. be able to maneuver Sometimes when you see them squirming on the ground and you don't really know what it is, like before I started taking grappling seriously or whatever, I didn't understand it. So I just always wanted to see the guys punch and kick. But once I started understanding wrestling and jujitsu a little bit more and practicing it, then I could really appreciate how unbelievably skilled these guys were on the ground. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And just made it so much more fun to watch. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so how does one become the Team USA coach of boxing and kickboxing? Oh, <laughs> so that's, crazy. That's I mean, I know you hold a lot of titles, so I'm assuming mm-hmm. that means you have definitely have the clout in your realm. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, how does that? How do you build a career like that over time? 
it's funny. Like I wasn't, I wasn't on the U S staff when, um, when I, when I became coach, they had already picked a guy in the 147 pound weight class to represent USA and Croatia in the okay. world championships. This kid I trained for 10 months, knocked him out. So they were like, okay, well, we're definitely not taking the other guy because your guy wow. knocked him out. Wow. So then the, everyone was kind of like, I don't know. The kid's only been training 10 months. Let's see how he does. He ended up winning a silver medal. He beat a Russian with 70 fights. My guy had three fights. He beat, he knocked out the Bosnian champion and then fought another Russian with 50 fights. And everybody thought he won, but the judges gave it to the Russian guy. So he ended up winning fighter of the year for America, but came home with a silver medal, which was unheard of for less than a year of training. I mean, it's absolutely unheard of. That's insane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that led you to be asked that, to do that got my foot in the door. Okay. And then once they saw that I could reproduce those results every year, like, man, this guy can really coach too. Yeah. So I, I stayed on as like an assistant coach for five or six years. And then eventually I got moved up to the head coach position and there's another head coach named Chris Sashan out of uh, Minnesota, and he's an amazing coach too. It's funny because me and Chris, we, we we both have our own teams, and we'd always kind of move up to the brackets. And at the end, in the finals, we're like, "What's up, right. brother?" Right. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. We already know that we're fighting each other's team. Yeah. And we we we've um we've uh our teammates have met each other in the ring so many times now, but um. I mean, that's the mark of a good coach. When you go to these national tournaments, there's like five or six teams usually mm -hmm. where a lot of them end up in the finals. Mm -hmm. And when they can re reproduce that year after year after year, you can tell that someone really knows what they're doing. I mean, every once in a while you get, you know, a school that does it once or twice. And for them, that's a huge thing. Yeah. But like, we're disappointed if we come home with one or two medals. We want sure. like the whole team to slay. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Man. Okay. So like, um, I don't know. I'm like, what makes a good kickboxing boxing coach in your opinion? Like, okay, so like, you know, the the premise of this oh, that's podcast. Another good question. Yeah, like this pre the premise of this podcast is like, you know, I originally started it with the desire to expose young people to like different options of careers, right? Like I I really wanted them to be passionate about what they do, similar to what you're talking about right now. Like I can feel how passionate you are, but you know, Let's take myself, for example, right? Like mm -hmm. my career as an athlete started very early in my childhood. You know, it's not something I like necessarily wanted to do in, in the sense of like my parents put me on the ice and I just did it and I found that I was good at it. But then I stopped doing it. And then honestly, there was a crossroads for me in high school where it was like, okay, am I going to – I injured myself pretty badly. So at that mm. point, I was like – Okay, am I going to keep going or am I going to go to college and do something else? Um, but I say all this to say it's like, honestly, my parents in particular, it was either the Olympics or like nothing, right? So it was like, <laughs> like coaching wasn't an option, but I wish they had told me sooner. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I wish like they could be like, hey, you know what? Like you did all these things and you were good at it but you don't have to go this road you can do this yeah. and then later in life when I decided to be a coach I loved it like yeah. the investment that I was able to make and and see the fruit of my investment was the biggest blessing I could ever ask for yeah bingo, but, bingo. yeah exactly and so like I feel like you get it but you know 
I'm like, yeah, what for you as a coach, like, you know, someone listening to this and is like, hey, maybe I'm at a crossroads. I never thought of coaching as an option, but Mark coaches and not only is he one of the best in the nation in his field, like he loves it. You know what I mean? Like, and it, I'm I'm curious to like, what kind of thoughts come to mind? What would you tell a young person that desires maybe a different path in this in the um, discipline that they're in? So uh, let me first start by saying what would not make a good coach. Okay. Someone who just wants to coach for like the title. Mm. They're going to be more self-absorbed and not really care mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. long run where their students go. And that those types of coaches usually burn out pretty quick, right? Yeah. Um, the whole reason I opened my gym is because I hated bullies with a passion. Mm. And I wanted to make sure that everyone that walked through my door, like in my mind, I was like, I can make them a black belt. I can make them a black belt. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Whether they become one or not doesn't matter to me. Yeah. You know, what matters to me is that I put that, that passion into teaching them. Mm. And, um, between 2006 and 2014, I racked up more IKF World Classic champions than any other coach in the world. And then after that, I stopped going to the IKF and joined WACO, which is the World Association of Kickboxing Organization, which, by the way, they just got recognized by the IOC as the only official sanctioning body for the sport of kickboxing. That's crazy. And then I happen to be the head coach for USA for WACO. So that you know makes me and Chris the head coaches for Team USA. Um but I uh, created more American uh, medalists than any other coach in America uh, through WACO as well. So, I mean, I've had a really good track record of producing over and over and over and taking guys that were the best at, in their small pond when they came over to where I was, just making them exponentially better. Mm-hmm. You know, I've taken pro world champions and made their game so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I was just, it, it was just, I, my, I got a really good knack for explaining and getting people to understand. Yes. Um, but back to the original question, what makes a good coach, man, you got to want that person to be the best they can be. Wow. And if you are, you, if you are in, in that frame of mind, like I'm going to make sure no matter what, I'm going to make sure this person is the best they can be. You'll probably end up being a good coach. Now Mm. there are some, there are some hurdles that you'll have to cross. Like there's certain methodologies you need to use when you coach um, I'll give you an example. This would be a very good example of bad coaching, right? Okay. Let's say somebody does something wrong and you go, Oh no, 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 no. That's crazy. That's crap. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, do it this way. Right. So mm-hmm. then they come back the next day. No, 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 That, what did I tell you before? That's crap. Well, how long are they going to put up with that? Mm-hmm. Right. They're not going to put up with that long. Yeah. It might be a couple of months and they go, you know what? This guy really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting tired of hearing all of his nonsense. Why don't you just show me how to do it first yeah. instead of just be belittling me in front of everybody, you know? Yeah. So how, how would you handle that differently? Maybe like, hey, Mike, man, I really love the way you're throwing that straight right hand right down the pipe. But when you're doing it, you're dropping your left hand, you know, make sure you keep that left hand up, throw the right hand down the pipe and then bring it right back. There you go. Perfect. Mm. So I said the same thing to this guy, but he didn't feel like a jerk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so you, you if you're able to communicate with your students in a way that they know that you care, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That goes a long way. So I see a lot of coaches do it wrong 
and just like really berate their students. You know what I mean? Yes. Like a lot of times, even if they're in the corner, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's hard. Like they're already stressed out. Now, some fighters you have to make an exception for. Not everyone's the same, but I don't know. I mean, the fight game is such a weird emotional game and and, and people don't understand how how emotional it is too. It's like um, half of the battle is physical. The other half is mental. Mm. Like, the way the way your brain works you know you're not most fighters when they get into the heat of battle they're not thinking with their cortex they're thinking with you know their limbic system which Mm -hmm. controls fight flight and freeze yeah and that's it so the mark of a good fighter is someone like i'd say floyd mayweather floyd mayweather can fight 12 rounds 36 minutes of boxing do an interview and not even be losing his breath just mm-hmm. completely articulate his sentences with, you know, with logic and reason. And, you know, that, you know, that that guy really knows his craft. Yeah. But you watch a tough man contest, the guys do three one minute rounds and they're completely exhausted and done because they fought with nothing but rage and emotion the whole time and dumped adrenaline in their body. And now they can't function properly anymore. You, you ever seen like an alligator? twist and turn and then after a while it's just laying there dead that's that's what happens when someone doesn't really know how to fight oh man that's really fascinating to think about I never thought of it that way but I guess like I mean of course it as you're talking like yeah of course it would be like more than just physical like um technique it's really Uh, it's interesting how the the limbic system affects your physical um uh ability so this would be like, you know, a big haymaker in the street fight. That's a gross motor movement. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Like writing your signature. That's a fine motor movement. Fighting is complex motor movement. It's a combination of the, the small movements and the big movements. Right. Yes. But if someone spit in your face like, and you get instantly angry, it's going to be gross motor movement. Because what happens is when you go into that emotional state, you no longer have fine motor movement. So you notice if you get really mad, you can't control the look on your face? Yes. Yep. That is because you're now in your limbic response. Your limbic response does not allow you to be relaxed and to be able to make logical um, thoughts or anything like that. That's why your husband will never buy you a car after you test drive it. That's funny. Um, okay, that is really fascinating. I now I'm gonna think about everything I do. But <laughs> you know, you know, like why people's face turn white and they their lips and fingers that like hands get real clammy and like um, they they turn white. Right, and they have a physical reaction to what's happening. Yeah, because what happens is when that adrenaline dump happens, it closes uh-huh. off the blood vessels in your fingers and your toes and your lips and your face. And it pushes all the blood to your bigger muscle groups. That's crazy. And that's a survival instinct, right? But you get that huge flood of power for 30 seconds or a minute, and then that's it. But fighters, what they do, they stay away from that limbic response, and they're able to think and make split-second reactions in the heat of battle. How do they do that? Just a lot of training? Lots of training, repetition. Like I used to watch boxing and go, how do they move their head out of the way of those punches? That looks ridiculous. How do they do that? Yeah. You you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just understanding the body mechanics and what what options they have. Like if somebody throws a right hand, right, Uh they have Uh the left hook, the left uppercut, you know, um, a left hook to the body. They have these certain uh, jab maybe. 
So they're limited to those those options if uh-huh. they're coming back with a punch. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. because I know what their options are, I could kind of foresee what they're going to try to do. And if I look at their body mechanics and they're not too fast, I can pick up on what punch they're going to throw. And let's say I throw my right hand and they're coming for a hook. I can pull this back really quickly and, and block myself. Does that make sense? Or I throw my right hand, duck up under it. I don't know. It's just, it's just fascinating. But when you first start training, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. Right. So this is why kids need to train. That's amazing. I'm like, I need to get Eli into kickboxing. (laughs) I think everybody should do it. I honestly think everybody should do it. Like when you buy a new car, right? Do you put your seatbelt on? Yes. You you don't have to unless you, I mean, you, you can get a ticket or whatever, but you don't have to. Nobody's forcing you to do it. Right. 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 Do you need insurance for your car? Yes. Yeah, but if you don't put your seatbelt on and you don't put your insurance on it because you know there's a very good possibility that one day you'll get into an accident, whose fault is it? Mine. It's your own. <laughs> so if you're in a if you're in a if you're in a uh, part of the city that's a rough part of the city and you never learn to fight and you get your ass kicked in a fair fight, whose fault is it? Oh, is it mine? <laughs> it's partly your fault. Oh man. What the what the outcome is partly responsible by you. Now that doesn't mean that the other person wasn't a jerk and the other person didn't start it, right? Right. But the likelihood of you losing that fart fight, <laughs> that fart. <laughs> the likelihood of you losing that fart, that fight is much greater. So if you I mean now, if I was to get in a street fight with another 45-year-old male who's never trained, that guy has no chance. Right. Absolutely zero chance. No, zero chance. Are you kidding me? <laughs> zero. Like, it is unfair. Yeah, it's unfair. I mean, you can knock somebody out of a bar stool when they're not looking. That doesn't take any skill at all. Yeah. You know, that yeah. does not, that's not being a tough guy. That's being a coward. Right. But right. I'm talking about in a fair street fight. If yeah. your your son is 15 years old and he's on the schoolyard and he's about to throw down with the 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 10th grade bully and they're the same size and everything maybe the other guy's a little bit bigger I mean I, I hope your son knows how to defend himself Yeah You know what I mean because there's going to be plenty of times when you're not there or your husband's not there or the principal's not there or the teacher's not there and then he has to defend himself mm. And this goes back to what I was telling you before like uh, the mark of a good man is a dangerous man who can control himself. Mm, yeah. So if your son is a dangerous fighter, but he can calm the situation either by verbal judo or by nullifying it with just the minimal amount of force, that's the mark of a good, that's the mark of a good man. Mm. You know what I mean? What most people would do is if they got into a street fight and they got the upper hand on the bully, they would just, they would really get, let the bully know, like they would <laughs> knock all of his teeth out. Or try to, unless somebody right. pulled them off of them, right? Yeah. But that's yeah. excessive. That's not really being a good human being. Now you're just in your emotional brain and you're not making good judgment. Does oh, that make man. sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Good training yeah. is necessary. Oh, man. Okay, Mark, you have me convinced, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm curious to know maybe some... Uh, okay, like say... I'm, you you've been training fighters for quite some time now. Uh-huh. Um, can you kind of take me 
I don't know if this is possible, but even before I ask it, but take me through like, I don't know, the journey of a fighter. I mean, no. I guess you can even every, talk about yourself, but every every fighter's journey is so different. You um, know? Okay. It's just like it's like the journey of a guitar player. Mm. Right? Okay. Or the journey of a skater. They're all so different. They it all is. have different okay, stories. It is. You're right. You're right. It is different. But I guess what I'm asking is like um, technicality. Like how does one become like, like do they go through like, for example, in a skating life, you know, there are levels you go through in order to get to the championship, to get to worlds, to get to the Olympics. What are like the stages, I guess, for a fight? Okay. So I, um, what I like to do, uh-huh. and it's not necessarily the most popular thing, but I like to introduce small layers of stress, okay. right? So for the person, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of what makes them want to be a fighter, right? Mm-hmm. First, there has to be an interest and then a desire to mm-hmm. act on that interest, right? Then they have to actually come into the gym, sign up, start taking classes, whatever, to discover whether or not they like it because they may not like it. I've had plenty of people come into my gym, want to be kickboxers, and end up doing jujitsu most of the time, mm-hmm. and then vice versa. People want to do jujitsu. That was me. I wanted to do jujitsu, and then I did a little bit of it, and I was like, I really like the kickboxing better, mm-hmm. so I started doing that. You know, so you have to find your path. I remember when I was in middle school, I wanted to play the saxophone so freaking bad. <laughs> I didn't even want to play drums. I wanted to play the saxophone, and we were trying to like. Um, uh, what do you call it? Test out all the instruments that we were good at. I sucked at saxophone so bad. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was better at trumpet and drums. And I was like, I definitely don't want to play trumpet. So I ended up playing drums. drums but um, yeah, so you have to kind of discover by, you know, just by being brave enough to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, first having the desire and then be, and then the next thing, being brave enough to step through those doors. And that's one of the biggest hurdles that I have to face when people come into my gym because they're they're like picturing themselves with their face pressed against the cage and somebody pounding them in the face. <laughs> but that's not at all. That's not at all what happens. Like ninety seven percent of the people at my gym don't even fight at all. Mm-hmm. They just want to learn how to defend themselves and they want to look good and be physically fit. That's it. So most people go to the gym to look good and be physically fit, but they don't know how to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody you know, slaps a drink out of your hand or asks you for your wallet, are you going to do a burpee? Like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, so you you have to, with martial arts, it's really great because not only are you getting physically fit, you're actually learning how to defend yourself. And the more important thing is to protect your family. Like, for every guy out there, man, you should definitely learn how to fight. Yeah. Not because you want to beat people up, because you want to protect the people you love. Mm. You know, it's good. Yeah. I mean, so, I would, I would feel, I would feel terrible. I ran across a situation where another man was running up on my child or, you know, or my girl or something like that. And I couldn't defend them, you know? And then whose fault is that? I didn't buy my insurance. I didn't put on my seatbelt. It's my fault, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So no, it, it, get it. At least if I did the training, and put in the time because I cared enough about other people, then I could be able to defend myself. And most of the time when you display the confidence, when somebody tries to punk you out, 
and they know you ain't going nowhere, it a lot of times you don't even have to do anything. Yeah. They yeah. can just tell, well, this guy's different. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I remember um we were in uh we were in I was in line with my children, and there was all these older teenagers, you know. I guess they're about to graduate high school or whatever, and they were in front of us. And just they're just being teenagers, whatever. But we were in line for like an hour to ride this ride at the fair. And then five more guys came in and they all cut us. And I was like, what is going on here? And I was like, okay, you know, Mark, don't say anything. Like it's they're just a bunch of kids. And before you knew it, there's 25 kids in front of me. And I was like, hey, what the hell is going on? Yeah. You guys see? Do you guys see this line behind us? Yeah. You're not cutting me. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I don't know where you're going to get in line, but you're not getting in front of me. Right. You know right. I mean? Yeah. And they're like, what the hell is wrong with this yeah. guy? We're, like, we're sorry, sir. Just come up here. You know, but like they could have stomped my guts out if they, if there's, they're 25 teenagers, my size or bigger. Like, and I'm not a big guy right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm an average size guy. So it's like, and I didn't have any of my Team USA stuff on. I just like an old Chinese guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, But, you know, my kids knew that if the stuff ever hit the fan, that their daddy's going to be there for them. Of course, yeah. That was a good feeling for them. I want them to feel safe around me. Of course. I want them to know that I have their back. Yeah, You know? And luckily I read that situation correctly and because we were close enough to security mm-hmm. they heard me yelling and they heard what I was yelling about so they walked over there too so I assessed the situation properly right you know what I mean and I don't I don't I don't recommend just going out and yelling at people but I did raise my voice loud enough that everyone around me could hear it you know what yeah. I mean yeah absolutely because but if I had never trained before I wouldn't have had the courage to do that I get it. Yeah. That makes sense. If I would have never trained martial arts, I would have never had the courage to go to college Mm. because I thought being a metal drummer, like playing drums my whole life, I'm just a dumb metal head. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was smart enough. I ended up being on the Dean's list, graduating with honors. And like, I was like, man, you know, and you know what did is like, man, if I can get kicked in the freaking head, homework is not too bad. (laughs) You know, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to bring it back just a little bit, but, um, you were saying like, so after someone, you assess and someone themselves assess their interest and desire in learning to fight. Um, Mm -hmm. like at what point do you train someone to like, you know, keep going towards, you know, the next level of fight? I don't, I don't push competition on people generally. Okay. But if they have a really good knack for it, mm-hmm. and I can see, man, this person could be an exceptional fighter, I would just suggest it to them. Mm. And then from there, it's up to them. And if they, if 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 I did my job correctly, and I've trained them, and have by the time that I ask them to be a fighter, they realize they can, they're capable of, of doing things that they never thought they could before. Mm-hmm. Now they go, hey, I trust this guy. He's the head coach of the U.S. kickboxing team. If he says I can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So Okay. So something that came to mind just now when you were saying that was, uh, okay, I get, you know, I used to get nervous for competitions, right? Yep. So I can't imagine having to fight somebody. <laughs> oh, not just having to fight. 
training for two or three months, knowing that you're going to fight someone equally as skilled. Right. That's terrifying. Okay. Okay. So it is terrifying. Yeah. It It's not like a, I got this kind of situation. It's like, do people like get really nervous? Yeah. Um, And then like, why do they do it though? Like, why do you do it? Like, why do you enter the ring knowing this information? I, for, for me, uh huh. you know, getting my ass kicked and mangled in street fights, I had to know. I needed to know, like, can I really do this? Do I have what it takes? Am I man enough to get in there and put my butt on the line and come out the victor? Mm. And the answer was yes. Yeah. And what about other people? What do you think? <laughs> the answer is whatever they tell themselves. Oh, man. So if they tell themselves, man, I can never do that. They're right. But they want to, like the people that get in there, right? They have to have action. Oh, they have to have, so if they have desire, everybody has the desire to be a champion. Right. Nobody wants to do what it takes to become one. Uh-huh. That's what separates champions from people who are fans. That's true. Okay, you're not wrong. I just, it's still so crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, but at the same time, like, I feel like, again, it's not, you know, to someone that's just an onlooker, it could just look like fighting. But I also know that it is a sport, an actual sport with real training and there is an art to it. And you know um, what would terrify me? What's that? Putting on a pair of ice skates. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way I would do that and spin around and twirl around and jump in the air. To me, that's crazy. That's <laughs> so funny. You're right. Okay. I admit that so <laughs> maybe it's, it's, it's the same. I don't know. It's classical but... <laughs> conditioning. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think with for me, like, I'm just going to use figure skating as an sure. example because that's what you do. Uh, I just, in my head, I picture worst case scenario. I picture me like trying to jump up and twirl around and bash my head into the ice and kill myself. Okay. Which is a very good possibility. Yeah, I guess. You know what I mean? It can happen. You know, I've seen people on skates slice their necks open because they got cut by somebody else with skates on. You know what I mean? Dumb, so, but yes. <laughs> or get their fingers run over. You know, it's just endless possibilities of this crazy nonsense going on in my head. Right? Okay, I get where you're going with this. Yeah. With so with the fighting thing, yeah. I, for me, I just needed to know. It's like I can't. I, I can't remember the the words of the poem exactly, but they're you know, it was um. They're talking about like uh, the the guy, the gladiators in the Colosseum, right? Uh -huh. You know, wanting to be that. I wish I, I wish I knew the 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 poem right off the top of my head. But anyways, what they're talking about is like they 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 want to know what it's like to be in there, mm -hmm. and everybody in the crowd. They can have all the opinions in the world, mm -hmm. but none of these people out here mm -hmm. in the ice skating rink or in the arena where the fights are, none of them will do it. Yeah. For me, I needed to know that I could do it. That's crazy. Not dude. necessarily that I could be the world champion, but I needed to know that I could go in there and lay it on the line. Yeah. And that confidence that you build when you do that, uh -huh. like, it's unbelievable. It's, it's like, I, I mean... You can't replace that confidence with money or anything like that. You know, you could, the, all the black belts that I've created at my gym, I've asked each and every one of them, if I could give you a million dollars right now, but you'd have to give me back your black belt 
and all the skills you learn and all the relationships you gain and all the knowledge you gained over the years, would you do it? And they're like, no, there's no way I would do it. That's crazy. It's that powerful. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. It is that powerful. And that, that resilience is helped me in life a lot, you know? Yeah. For sure. One of my last, actually my very last fight, um, I was supposed to fight at lightweight at 137 pounds and my opponent ended up being sick that day and didn't show up for the national tournament. Mm. So the guy that was 17 pounds heavier than me in the 115, 54 pound, I think it's seven. Yes. 154 pound weight class, 17 pounds heavier than me was without an opponent too. His opponent was sick. So they asked me, do you want to fight that guy? two weight classes above me, I was like, no, I don't want to fight that right. guy. Not only do I do not want to fight him, he's trained by Ray Thompson, the father of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who is like the most highly acclaimed kickboxer in America, 62-0 and 0 record, never lost a kickboxing match. So I was like, man, the, guys, the guy they wanted me to fight was a black belt from their school who was an instructor at their school. And I was like, no, I don't want to fight that guy, but I will. Because I've been training for three months for this. And the the mindset I had was I could go home right now and play it safe, just like everybody in the in the world would do. Mm-hmm. Just play it safe and say, ah, oh, I didn't do it because my opponent didn't show up. Or I could give it my best because I knew I was in good shape. I knew I trained hard. I knew I had the best sparring partners in the region and go fight this guy. And the first round came out. The first kick I threw, boom, I put him on his ass. And then um, he started chasing me around the ring and I was able to like stick and move and stick and move and stick and move. And he's much heavier than me. So if he did land a shot, it would move me a lot. You know what I mean? It knocked me around. But the second round, normally those guys from that gym are very sportsmanlike. They will touch gloves, separate and then fight. Right. Well, he went to go pretend like he was going to touch my gloves and kick me in my arm and broke my freaking arm. So he broke my ulna bone in half. So I was like, oh, my God, he freaking broke my arm, right? So here I am, 17 pounds lighter than him. I have a broken arm, and this guy's trying to tear my head off. And if you don't think that takes a lot of confidence and the ability to make split-second timing and all that stuff, like, so I ended up fighting two more rounds, and I beat this guy. With a broken that, arm? With a broken arm. I won the Shut fight up. with a broken arm. <laughs> yeah. Is so there I any- hang up the... I hang the x-ray up that I had from that fight in my gym and it just says never give up. And I put it right on where a cardio kickboxing is, you know, that's insane. Yeah. Is there so, any video of this fight? <laughs> there is. I'll, I'll send it to you. That is crazy. Oh and my gosh. The, How did the, you, it was it adrenaline. It didn't feel anything. How did I, I felt it. Yeah. I felt it. Cause my bones were like doing oh this. Oh my, my gosh. Mark. Oh my God. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, so I couldn't throw hooks anymore. All I could throw was like jabs because my radius bone was still intact, but my ul- ulna bone was broken in half. So throwing the hooks, it, it hurt really bad over here. So I would just throw jabs with that after that. But um, oh god, you got to think on the fly. You know, that's one of the things that being a fighter allows you to do. It allows you to stay calm in pressure situations. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. Uh-huh. Anybody can get pushed into that limbic response, but the more you practice putting yourself under those deeper levels of stress like that, I mean, a 
six minutes in an amateur kickboxing match doesn't sound like a long time. It's an eternity. No, that sounds like a long time. It is time. an eternity if you've never fought. <laughs> it's okay. an eternity if you have fought and you fight a really good fighter. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So um, the guys that fight 12-round boxing matches, three, you know, you know, 12 three-minute rounds, unbelievable. Mm. The, the amount of stamina, endurance, and, you know, mental capacity that those guys have, you know? Yeah. Or in the UFC, they fight five five-minute rounds. Go just, I mean, if you want to see what that feels like, go to any heavy bag and punch it as hard and as fast as you can for one minute. And then just take, take your heart rate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then think about that heavy bag punching and kicking you in the you're face. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really impressive when you, when you start thinking of it in terms like that. Yeah. But I always want to know that, you know, it's something Bruce Lee said. So he's like, there, someone asked him in an interview, like, like, so Bruce, what are you going to do when you're 65 years old? Are you going to, are you going to fight? You know, are you going to be able to beat everybody up? He goes, probably not. But I know one thing, there's not going to be no 65 year old man pushing me around. <laughs> and I thought that was a beautiful quote. He's yeah. right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, you stay in your line, lane and do what you know you can. But with, with the martial arts, I wanted to know where my limit was because mm. under a pressure situation, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. Mm. So if your training is zero and somebody sucker punches you, what is going to happen? I'm to me, I'm just going to probably fall over. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is what most people do. <laughs> but if you punch somebody in the face, who's been punched in the face a hundred thousand times. And you didn't knock them out, you better pack a lunch because you're right. about to get stomped. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not that I, I advocate you stomping somebody's tail, but like, yeah, you don't want to go punch a boxer in the face. You bet. You better knock them out if, right. you, if that's what you, you right. intend on doing. But that's I like having funny. that confidence. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But for me, I'm not a, believe it or not, I'm not a violent person. Oh, I don't I, think you are. Yeah. <laughs> I never start fights. Yeah. I never start fights. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you know, as I got older into my adulthood, like I guess I went through my college phase, like in my twenties and I, I got into a few bar fights and the guys were always huge, huge guys. And I was like 140 pounds at the time, mm -hmm. but with all the martial arts training, it was like done, yeah. you know? <laughs> and like people would be dancing and just be dumbfounded. Like, what in the world just happened? Right. Yeah. You know? I can't even imagine. That's so, f it's not funny, but kind of funny. <laughs> oh man. That was, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, it was master's week here in, in Augusta Uh huh. and like the whole world comes to Augusta. So there's a place called the soul bar and it was disco hell night and it was jam packed, like shoulder to shoulder. And I was with my, my first ex-wife uh -huh. <laughs> and um she was my girlfriend at the time and we were dancing so this guy gets behind my my girlfriend and starts grinding on her and i was like oh, oh my no. god this guy is so rude what is wrong with him right you know but being a martial artist i let it slide i was like this guy's drunk he's probably yeah. from out of town let's right. move we move right. over five or ten feet he follows us and he's grinding on her butt again so we move another time and finally she goes mark let me go to the bathroom. We're getting out of here. This guy's going to start a fight. 
I said, all right, let's go. You know? And for me, it was easy for me to smile at my yeah. pride because I knew this guy was drunk. I knew if I smashed him, he wasn't going to remember who I was or what I looked like or anything. Right. So we go to leave this place. My wife is holding, or my then girlfriend was holding my hand and she was walking in front of me Well, he cuts me off and starts grinding on her butt again. And he's like, Six four, two hundred and eighty pounds, two hundred and ninety pounds. He's huge, like literally twice my size, right? Like I probably weigh as much as one of his legs. So I just kind of nudge him out of the way, and he shoved me with both of his hands from behind. And I'm like, I spilled my drink on my girlfriend and on myself. So I put my drink down. And I turn around. I said, "Listen, man, are you really starting to try to? Are you really trying to start shit with me tonight?" And um, before he could finish his sentence. I just smacked him in the ear as hard as I could, you know, because he at that time he put his penis on my girlfriend four times and yes. he shoved me. So he put his hands on me and that was yes. it. I was like, I'm done with this. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're settling this now. Yeah. So I, if you cup your hand like this, like you're uh -huh. drinking water uh -huh. and you smash somebody in the ear, it blows their eardrum out and they cannot stand up. So he just fell like an oak tree all the way down to the ground. And when he tried to stand back up, you know, he stumbled back up. I just tried to kick a field goal with his crotch. And he went right back down to the ground. And I walked to the cop at the front of the club. And I said, hey, man, there's a fight back there. You should probably break it up. And the cop hauled ass and tried to break up the fight. And me and my girlfriend just calmly walked out of the front of the club. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, yeah, but, like, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I right. hadn't trained. Right. But, you know, you know what I would have also not been able to do? If Walk I, away. if I wouldn't have trained, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself Yeah, because yeah. I knew that that guy could have took my girl right in front of me and there was yeah. nothing I could do about it. That's pretty but, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that is a good story. And I didn't know the cupping thing. Really? Is that real? That's real? <laughs> yeah. Cause what it does, it creates a vacuum and it blows air into your eardrum and your eardrums made of very soft tissue. And that's where you keep your balance. So when that eardrum gets perforated like uh -huh. that, the fluids in your inner ear are no longer working properly. So you, it's like you're a, like you're just stepped off of a merry-go-round going 100 miles per hour. Okay, guys, don't do that at home or anything. Definitely <laughs> don't do that to your kids. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, well, Mark, you know, we are rounding out our time together. And I always <laughs> ask people, um, what do you like least about your job first? I, what I like least about my job is this. When people come to me, uh -huh. they're like, they want the knowledge. They're, they're very humble. They, they like, coach, I would never, you know, disrespect you. I would never do this to you. Mm. Yada, yada, yada. And then they start to learn how to fight a little bit. And like the egos come out of, yeah. out of the woodwork. Like, ah, oh, coach don't know this coach. Man, I still spar with the world, the world, like the U.S. team, I'm 45, right. and right. I still get in there and get it on with these guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. So most coaches at 45 don't do it no more, but I still do. Mm. You know, and I'm sure my the end my the end of my road is coming up pretty soon here because I'm getting up there in age. But you know what? Like Bruce Lee said, there ain't gonna be no 65 year old man messing with me when I'm 65. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you're saying the egos that come out is probably the hardest thing for you to deal with. As a coach. Yeah, because you know why? Because when I take those people in, I genuinely want to help them. Yeah. They're like my children. Of course. 
Like, I love these people. Like, I've invested all this time and effort and money in my body, mm-hmm. like, holding mitts for them. I, mm-hmm. I calculated how many rounds of mitts I held in my life. It was, like, 80-something thousand rounds. That's crazy. So, yeah. two minutes or three minutes at a time times 80,000. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the amount of stress I put on my body, my shoulders, my elbows, my, my ribs, holding, like, getting kicked the pads over and over and over. Yeah, that's a lot of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't get that back. I agree. So now my arm, like I can't straighten it out. It clicks like every time I try to straighten it. That was it. That was it. Wasn't it? That was it. it. Oh gosh, Mark, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. So like you know, that's that's the thing for me that really is disappointing because I pour my heart into and soul into these guys, and uh, I don't know, getting disrespected or like getting shunned away, like they don't need me anymore. That is hurtful to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. But I'd say that's the, probably the the crappiest part of my job, but you know what? I still accomplished what I wanted to accomplish Mm. because they can say what they want to say about, you know, this or that, but I know that I did my job and they're very capable martial artists. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I achieved my goal. So I have to put my ego on the shelf. Okay. This guy, you know, thinks he's better off without you or whatever. Like I've created some of the most badass fighters in the world, you know, as amateurs fighting against other pros and, and smashing them. But, you know, they leave me or create, open their own gyms behind my, my back and steal my students or things like that. Man, that's hurtful. That's mm-hmm. like, now you're taking bread off my table. Like, oh, why man. would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. So th- that's probably the lowest part of my job. Yeah, it's pretty discouraging. Okay, what's the best part? The best part is like what you experience. Yeah. Like you take this person who's completely unathletic, completely unconfident, and you just turn them into a primed machine. Mm-hmm. And that you see the way they carry, they're no longer like shrunk in like this mm-hmm. they're like walking in with their chest up and their chin up oh, in the air like yeah. what's up everybody i'm here yeah. you know what i mean yeah that is beautiful to me mm. when they can walk in and go yeah man i'm good you know or or if something happens and somebody tries to mug their mom they're able to stop it yeah that's great yeah that's i mean i'm sure that feels so good if like someone comes and gives that kind of testimonial man how powerful truly we had a girl come in uh-huh. who worked at our academy. Uh-huh. We taught her one move, one, <laughs> and it was how to get out of a rear bear hug. Okay. And that weekend, somebody attacked her downtown, and she used that move and smashed this guy under the concrete with That's it. crazy. Wow. You saved her life. You guys saved she her put life. Her, she put her seatbelt on. She bought yeah. that insurance. Awesome. You know what I mean? She didn't know she was going to get mugged. One time, this guy that was taking jujitsu classes here in Atlanta, and he went to my church. We were talking about Uber, yeah. you know, and then it kind of freaked me out, like just in in the idea of me going getting into Ubers by myself and things like that. I don't travel or anything often, but if I were to, so he like started to try to teach me how to get like if I'm in the back seat, what were to happen, like so, things like that. And I was like, oh, this is important. Like I yes. need to do this. Like yes, yes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I yeah. think all girls should definitely do jujitsu. It's a great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay, yes, the investment that you make and then the the fruits of your labor is definitely 
um, I'm sure rewarding to you, coach. It's really awesome. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. Actually, just real quick. I know I said <laughs> that we're rounding out our hour, but I am curious. So did you train in Augusta? I did. Yeah. So like some of the best coaches you're saying of MMA fighting are in Augusta? So our, Georgia? MMA coach, <laughs> our, our, our coach right now who teaches jujitsu uh-huh. uh, and Muay Thai. Have you ever heard of Anderson Silva? Like the MMA so fighter? The name sounds familiar, but I don't, I don't want to claim that I know him. Like, so Anderson is. Silva is like one of the most world famous mixed martial artists. Like he's like one of the greatest of all time. Right. Okay, I he believe you. reigned yes. in the light heavyweight division in the UFC for 10 years or something uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. So, which is unheard of in MMA, but the guy who coached him is our jujitsu and, and Muay Thai coach in Augusta. Uh, it's a guy named Sergio Cunha. Me and him met at a kickboxing tournament. We became friends. I was looking for a jujitsu instructor. He said, Mark, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I'll come help you out. I said, really, man, that'd be great. So he moved up to Augusta. He's from the original shoot box Academy in Brazil. And um, yeah. So I don't know, whenever there's a, a, a void in your life, the, the Lord and the universe just kind of fill that with what you need. Yeah. You but I, mean, I just, I guess like in my head, I'm like, wow, this is so crazy that like in Augusta, Georgia, where I just know there to be, um, well, the Choi's live there. And then, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then like, you know, um, the masters are in Augusta, but yeah. now I'm like, wow. So like some of the top fighters in the nation come from Augusta, Georgia. Is that what you're saying yeah. right now? Yeah, we had one one girl that was on the Ultimate Fighter reality show, a girl named Helen Peralta. She was a female bare knuckle world champion. She's a hoot, man. She's such a great personality, fantastic fighter. And she started when she was like 30 uh-huh. or something like that. So now she's 33 or 34 and she's making a run for it. Like she's a really fantastic, fun fighter to watch. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty awesome. Okay, well, um, now this is my final question um, so that we can... Because honestly, I believe you. We could probably talk about fighting all night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have any advice? I feel like you've given a ton of advice. And one of the major ones that I've taken from tonight is, oh, I need to learn to put on my seatbelt and get my insurance. Um, Right. Because you never know. Yes. Yes. But do you have any advice for somebody that maybe, um, whether, maybe not necessarily MMA coaching, but like, maybe are is listening is like oh maybe coaching might be something i'm interested in or any just life advice at all um yeah the the pain of defeat is much less than the pain of regret mm, i like that so if fighting or coaching or becoming a I don't know, a world-class swimmer or whatever it may be is what you want to do. Don't be 75 years old or 85 years old and go back, look back and say, man, what if I just really gave it my best shot? Go out there and do it. Mm. Give it your best shot. You know what I mean? The worst that can happen is the people in the stands are going to make fun of you. Mm. Who cares? Yeah. None of their opinions count. They're all drunk anyways. They're not going to remember who you are the next day. You know what I mean? 
those people's opinions don't matter. The people's opinion that matter are your opinion and your family maybe, and even your family secondary, but you have to sleep with, with yourself every night. You have to look in the mirror. And when you can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I really gave it my all. Then, then you can be content with whatever the outcome is. And you can be, you, you can have gratitude that like it, getting into like uh, kickboxing matches, you see uh, so much respect. Like, let's say a guy just pounds the other guy. I'm walking around with a broken nose and a cut over my face or whatever. And then at the end of the match, you'll see the guys bow to each other to give each other a big hug. Yo, man, thank you for that fight. Thank you for that experience. And you see that a lot in Muay Thai and in, in kickboxing because that person is, is giving you a new experience, a new opportunity to better yourself, mm. you know? And so often in life, you know, we're, we're so enamored with the thought that um, conflict or struggle is always bad. It's not always bad. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's necessary, mm. you know? But again, the pain of, of defeat is way less than the pain of regret. Yeah. Don't ever, don't ever go through life regretting not shooting your shot and trying to go for your your dream, you know. Because if I was scared, I would have never opened my gym. I took yeah. my grandfather's inheritance and opened my gym, and I just gambled. I rolled the dice, and I had to have like I had to roll it right on the right number, right? Mm -hmm. I had to get the right number, and I could have lost everything. But you know what? I look back now, I made a lot of mistakes. I, I wasted a lot of money, but I don't regret it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't regret it one bit because those mistakes got me here. So I can move forward in life confidently knowing that I won't repeat those mistakes. But if you just stay, you play safe and you stay on your couch and say, ah, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do that. Well, that's fine. You're always going to be a fan. Coach, you're speaking to me now. I'm like... <laughs> All the things that I've been, because like I, you know, I'm in this season of motherhood where like the kids are getting older, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, what now? And I have a lot of things on my mind, but now I'm like, yes, no regret. No regret. Yeah. Just do it. Just shoot my shot. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't wait for the perfect opportunity. Yeah. There is no perfect time. Agreed. Yeah. You know? Agreed. So... And and then uh, you know I've, I I had a, a a group of guys that I had the um, great opportunity to meet in December. Um, we I joined this group called Man on Fire, and um, they have this saying like, "Who decides?" You know they'll ask you who decides, and you gotta you gotta put it right back in on them. I decide. Mm. I decide. You know what I mean? Mm. Nobody else is gonna decide my life. I decide what's going on. Mm. What's going on in your life, you know, so-and-so or Mark or Jack or Susie, you know? Oh, yeah? Well, what's going to, who's going to change that? Mm. Yeah? Well, who decides about that? I decide about that. Mm. This is my life. I decide about my life. So I could decide to sit on the couch and be regretful for the rest of my life, or I could shoot my shot and at least I won't regret it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I could look confidently in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm proud of myself because that took a lot of balls. Mm. Yeah. Man, Mark, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me tonight. I really appreciate it. I have learned so much. And now after awesome. this interview, you know what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to be on YouTube Google. 
a bunch of stuff about kickboxing and boxing. Coach, um, again, congratulations um, in 2028. Is it? It's Paris, right? No, it's L.A. Is L.A.? Yeah. What am I thinking of right now? Something is in Paris. Anyways. I don't know, but it's not the Olympics. Okay, <laughs> it's in L.A. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, okay, you so know I'll what? My parents live in L.A. Can If I somehow hit up one of your events, don't forget about me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, Coach, if I always put my guests on the spot, uh, sorry, but like, if there's anybody that maybe has uh, questions about what we talked about today, would you be okay mm-hmm. with me connecting you with them? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Hey, guys, um, if you have any questions about our episode or our chat today, please feel free to reach out to me. You can DM me on social media or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com and I'll be happy to get you connected. Um, if anyone's in our, our area that was watching this podcast, if they want to join my gym, they can go to gmma.ninja. GMMA.ninja. I'll definitely put that yeah. on social media as well. Um, Coach, wow. thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. I, I, yeah, I just want to say again, um, good luck in 2028. I cannot wait to, I, I, I am, I really want to try to keep up with um, what's going on in that world somehow. I don't know how, but I'll do my best. <laughs> we'll keep in touch for sure. Absolutely. Um, until next time, guys. Bye. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thank you. See you guys.